you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. It is incredibly easy to get lost on the creative path. That's why this show exists, to help you get back on your path to reaching your creative potential. It's what we all want. It's what we all need. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into this episode. Okay, this is the episode to get you into the right mindset for 2022. Uh, If you want to stay pepped all throughout the year, go check out creativepeptalk.etsy.com. We still have 2022 calendars featuring 12 of the fan favorite episode art pieces from last year, and they all have different phrases on them. So when you turn the new month, you get a fresh pep talk from your calendar. Hopefully it's exactly what you need in that moment. We tried to plan the episode art to go throughout the calendar seasonally for where you might be at those times. Uh, That's my kind of thing I like. Hopefully you do too. Go check it out, creativepeptalk.etsy.com and get your calendar and a bunch of whole other stuff that we just put in there. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. This episode is about kind of this idea that I've been rolling around in like a big pile of leaves. It's deus ex machina. You've heard of this probably if you haven't or you don't know what it means. It basically means God from within the machine. And it's a it's a thing about storytelling, you know, bad storytelling, actually. There's a kind of rule, unwritten rule about good stories that say, The hero can't be just saved from on high. Something just swoops in and saves them. They have to find the change and become the change from within. They have to save themselves. The whole idea of a story is a character changing, finding something new, fresh within and overcoming something. And, you know, I actually think... The reason why this idea of deus ex machina, you know, this being saved from on high, uh, the reason that's bad storytelling, I think it's less to do with this idea that stories need to mimic real life and that doesn't happen in real life. In fact, you know, there's been tons of times where things have worked out in my favor or I've, you know, had a break or somebody's helped me overcome something like all that stuff happens in real life. But what I think stories are about. They're about giving you what you need 
to overcome. They're about helping you become the hero that you always knew you could be about reaching your potential. I think that's a big part of stories. And there's a lot of stories I love that are true to life and they're not really about helping you do what traditional stories do. But ultimately, you know, sometimes when I hear someone say, oh, that story just doesn't capture reality. Like it, it's telling you a fairy tale ending or what, whatever. I sometimes feel like pushing back and, and for me, I don't actually feel like it's the story's job to give us a picture of reality. You know, I'm not, I don't think, you know, you just take a snapshot slice of life of your every day and say, there's your movie. Like, yeah, that, there's nothing more real to life than an actual real life, but it's not going to give you real life. Isn't going to give you what a story can give you and why we crave them. I really believe we crave them because they call new things out of us. They inspire us. They give us uh, new perspectives and ideas to embrace and embody and use in our everyday lives. Um, we take the story and the meaning of story structure and we apply it to our everyday. Why am I telling you this? Because this story, this whole podcast is supposed to be about your story, your creative practice and your creative journey. So why are we talking about this? Well, I actually think that a lot of artists, myself included, spend a lot of time hoping, praying, crossing our fingers that we in our real life will be saved from without, that some publisher or record label or fairy art mother I've said in the past is going to show up and solve all of our problems. And I actually think part of this is based in the fact that this might have been true at some point in time. You know, there was a there was a time in which you could be just overnight discovered success by some kind of talent scout, some illustration agent, some publishing person stumbles upon you, or let's say someone comes to your show and they, they're from their record label exec and they sign you or you're in an improv situation and people from Saturday Night Live are hiding in the crowd. Like we love those stories personally because they make us feel like one day someone's going to see something in me that I didn't see in myself. But Honestly, we don't actually subscribe to that kind of storytelling anywhere else because it's not useful because a story is meant to help us, to empower us to act and change and save ourselves. And not only is waiting around hoping that something or someone will show up and save the day for your story kind of problematic because it doesn't get you acting. I actually think it's a huge problem because I think the rules of the game have changed. And this whole way of thinking about how you're going to have some massive big break is actually antithetical to the majority of people, the rule, there are exceptions, but the rule in my book, people that are starting now and, and finding a, a thriving practice and reaching their potential, they're not waiting around to be given opportunities. They're not waiting around to be discovered. They're doing something different and they're building it piece by piece, like a story, like a journey, not like the whole deus art 
machina, we'll call it. And so in this episode, I want to lay the groundwork for how to shift your perspective away from that type of thinking that's really holding you back. It's really a fixed mindset. It's saying it's not in my control. I either have it or I don't. It's either going to happen or it doesn't. It's just, it's totally out of my hands to putting the tools and the onus back on you to make stuff happen slowly but surely. And you're saying, listen, Andy, don't call me Shirley, but I am interested in this podcast. And if that's you, keep listening. So the first thing you got to do is you really got to embrace the long game, embrace the journey and reject the deus ex machina, the deus art machina, as we're calling it, way of thinking about your creative practice. And I, yes, we've talked about this before, but I want to take a totally different look at it because for one, I don't want to talk about it through the lens of this is never going to happen. You're never going to get a record deal. You're never going to get a publishing, you know, just forget all that. That's kind of how we've thought about in the past. I want to talk about what happens if you do and why, even if that happens, it's not going to be like it used to be. And so pointing all of your energy and all of your creativity towards that end, I think is not only misplaced because it might not happen, but it's also misplaced in a distraction because even if it does, I don't think it's going to be what you think it's going to be past Andy, who I'm, I'm thinking of right now, you know, getting that publishing deal or, or what have you, it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. Uh, because the rules of the game have changed, and I want to explain what I mean by that. To do that, I got to tell you a little story. It happened to me recently. We've been like working on the basement. We wanted to put a treadmill in there because I'm a big runner. I'm a slow runner, but I, I run every other day, and I don't like running in the cold at all. And there's also days when it's so icy, you can't run. And so I thought, I really want to get a treadmill. We don't have a super big house, but we wanted to make room for it. So we're going to, we redid the basement floors, had contractors come in with a whole big ordeal to put a treadmill down there. And so we went through the whole process. We actually ran into a bunch of snags because of it. It was a whole thing. It was a disaster. Uh, Eventually we got the floors done. We ordered the treadmill. And I ordered it on this website and it said, they'll put it in any room in your house if, as long as it's not more than three flights of stairs, which it wasn't, we're going to put it in the basement. The people showed up to deliver it and the guy's like, hey, you want this in your garage? And I'm like, I don't have a garage, first of all. First of all, uh, I'd actually really love it in my basement. And they're like, yeah, we don't do that. And I was like, hold on a second. Let me just call the company because the, the website said you did. So I got on the company, I'm like working hard for this treadmill. Uh, I get on the phone with the company and, you know, they're putting it in my, they drop it in my living room. And while I connect to the call, I turn around and they're driving away. And I'm like, oh gosh, how am I going to get this 300 pound treadmill down the stairs? And I started to try to get it on the stairs and just slide it back. But I remembered 
longtime podcast listeners will know that I almost had an accident with a fridge long ago and I decided, wait, this might, uh, I got by that time without losing my life. Maybe I won't risk it this time around. And so I, I waited, I called a friend called Ryan. The next day he came, helped me get it down there. We just like slowly just, you know, eased it down, got it down, started unpacking it, unpacked the whole thing, you know, uh, got all the parts out, started building this thing, taking my, a whole bunch of time. I get it about three quarters of the way built and it's mostly built. And I'm like, okay, I just gotta, I gotta just feel how this beautiful baby feels to stand on. And I get on top of that treadmill and I feel my hair graze the ceiling. <laughs> and I was like, ah, maybe I'll just run like, you know, with, with my knees totally bent. Maybe I'll just have that kind of thing. And then we thought, well, we could put it in the back basement where there's no like ceiling put in. There's just rafters. And I found a little spot between the rafters, got about a foot of uh, leeway between the two boards and a foot front and back where there's no uh, nails jutting out and no wires uh, that can electrocute my head. If I just keep my head totally still, then I can probably use it. But the truth was <laughs> this treadmill was not going to work in this situation. And you're probably thinking like, Andy, why didn't you think about whether your basement was tall enough to house a treadmill? Well, I'm not an idiot. Yes, okay, that is something that I could have done. But we used to have a treadmill down there. And it worked just fine. Like years ago, we had a crappy secondhand one that we had down there and it worked just fine. And so I thought it used to work. And so why wouldn't it work now? And I thought we'd be safe. And the truth is, I think a lot of creators fall in the same habit. You know, the same line of thinking. We think, you know, back in the day, in the, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, if you showed up as a stand-up comedian on late-night television, you were an overnight success. You were a household name. That was it. If you got signed to Universal and put on a massive tour with a big band, that was it. If they got, they get you on the radio, like that, that's it. If it's, they get you on MTV, boom, that's it. Overnight success. And so we think like it used to work. But the fact of the matter is I have friends, close friends that have been signed to massive record labels. And guess what? It didn't mean anything. I have friends that have been on multiple spots on the major late night TV shows. And they work super hard to get there. They've pushed up and downhill and flights of stairs and just for years to get there and built this thing. And then they go out on stage and guess what? They feel their hair just raise the ceiling because just because it used to work doesn't mean that you're not going to hit a ceiling this time. And I've seen so many people pour all of their energy into getting that opportunity for someone from without, someone on high, some fancy important gatekeeper to let them in, only to be let in and seen that this is just another ceiling. 
you know how many people can be on late night television and gain no extra followers, sell no extra tickets? Like the game has massively changed. I was telling this idea to my agent, Ryan, and he's a big baseball fan. And he was like, yeah, it even happens in sports. The game actually changes. If you were amazing in the 80s at baseball and you went out in the field today with, through some kind of time travel, you wouldn't actually be playing the same game because the rules evolve over time. And I strongly believe that right now, the rules of the creative world are so dramatically different that if you put everything into this one big opportunity happening and thinking that this is going to be the thing that changes everything, you're going to waste a lot of time because it might not ever happen. But even if it does, I don't think it's going to be what you think it's going to be. And what I think the alternative is, is if instead of schmoozing and networking your way to some kind of gatekeeper saying that you can come to the party, what I actually think you should be doing is showing up for free online, delivering the kind of creative value that you want to deliver, that you want to connect with with your audience and, and slowly but surely build that connection, that, that relationship, just one person at a time. You know, my following on Instagram and, and, and this podcast and on Twitter, they happened over a decade plus just making connections, just trying to get better at delivering the kind of substantial, clear value that I want to be a pro at delivering as a creator and just finding and connecting with peers and partners to help find the people that are looking for that kind of stuff. And there've been very few moments in my career where I've actually gained a, you know, a bucket load of followers in one fail swoop, like very few and far between. And, and even those they're, they're much smaller than you would guess that they are. And so the first thing that I, and the reason why I'm doing this episode is a, we haven't thought about it through this lens of like, even if like you get it. It might not be what you think it's going to be. But also I want to add some more, give you some more tools on how to build this different type of creative practice. And the first thing you do is quit thinking about it like the deus art machina and start thinking about it like a long game, a long journey, a big, huge, multi-chaptered story. And the reason why I think this is essential is, yes, A, this is actually how I think solid, stable, long-term creative careers are mostly built, especially in our day and age. And I think the rules have changed. That's definitely true. But there's another reason why I never shut up about seeing your practice as a creative journey, why I've built the podcast on this rock of, of creative journey is it's not just because I like Lord of the Rings. I actually like Lord of the Rings less than you'd think I would. More of a Zelda kind of that kind of medieval, you know, fantasy. Um, but it's not just because of that. It's not just because I'm a huge Joseph Campbell, hero's journey, monomyth guy. The reason why I want to start this year with this drilling this mindset into your head is because for me, 
discovering the hero's journey, discovering storytelling and story structure was the birth of the growth mindset for me. If you're not aware, we used to talk about this at the early days of the podcast when we were trying to like flesh out what this show is all about. A huge core value of this show and the type of creator that I'm trying to trying to be and trying to encourage you to come along and be as well is embracing the growth mindset. This is something that was coined by Dr. Carol Dweck in her book, Mindset. And it's basically the defining value of someone who is successful. It's the most common trait. And what it means is the fixed mindset says you either have it or you don't. You either have the talent and you're made for the creative life or you're not. It's a black and white uh, do or die kind of thing. And fixed mindset people, when they give challenges to kids, if the kid has a fixed mindset, what happens is when they approach a test, there's a lot of anxiety. And the first hint that it might be too challenging, they reject the test and they refuse to try. Why? Because if you fail this test, it's not just a learning opportunity. It's not just a, 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 a teaching moment. It is something about your very being. It's about whether you have it or you don't. If you fail, it's not like isolated to just this experience. It's your whole life. And when you have the fixed mindset and you fail one math test in first grade, you think I suck at math. I'm bad at math. Not I did poorly. And so they will say, you know, don't say, oh, you're so smart because that's about their identity. Say you worked so hard on this. Like you really put effort into that. Because that switches over from the fixed mindset to the growth mindset. And there's a thing about the creative practice where there's an obsession with talent, X factor. There's, a, there's an obsession with the deus ex machina of like, you're either going to be picked and, and you're going to be a chosen one, or you just don't have it. And so when I was getting started, I kept just dipping my toes in to a million different pools, trying out a little bit here and there, everything, because I had the fixed mindset. And I was hoping for that glorious moment that we see in all the like biopic movies of like the, the person who comes into the guitar store and, and they've never even seen a guitar. They've lived in the woods for 15 years and they pick it up and they just start strumming. And it's like, oh man, they got the magical fingers. We all, I was looking for that. I was looking for my magical fingers moment. I was looking for that thing that, that, was, that I just had, the talent. And what it meant was I always ran away from challenge. I always, uh, I, I, anytime anything got tough, anytime it looked like I might not be great at it right out the gate, I would turn and run away. And the fact of the matter is my biggest passion right now is storytelling as a creator. That's my jam. And that's what happened when I first started trying to get into kids books. I found writing stories and thinking about story and, and drawing and, and writing with pictures in my illustrations very, very difficult. There was so much to learn. And I would send in these manuscripts and I, they would just get a billion notes. And I'd be like, I guess I just suck. I guess I'm just bad at this. Instead of saying, I guess I have a lot to learn. And so the reason why I wanted to start this new year off and kick it off with really 
building the foundation of this podcast of the next season as we go into the next uh, uh, era of creative pep talk, I really wanted to reestablish it on this idea of creative journey because I, I believe that this mindset will allow you to succeed in the current marketplace as well as give you the kind of mindset that will help you thrive in the long haul. Okay, so the first thing that you're doing is you are embracing the longer journey. You're embracing this growth mindset that says, just because I don't have it now doesn't mean I never will. Doesn't mean I can't overcome obstacles. It also means it, it really reframes things that are difficult. You know, as a creator myself, my wife and I notice like we're both artists when things start going wrong, we're, eat, we're, we're the type of, you know, magical right brain thinker, thinkers that can easily get into the whole Michael Scott on The Office, the episode, if you're familiar with this, is uh, uh, where he thinks the office is cursed. It's cursed. And you'll think, oh, this mission's cursed. I shouldn't go this direction. I should have never tried to make kids books. Like, it's very easy for both of us to go there. And the growth mindset is all about reframing how you think about obstacles, not as signs that you should turn back, but signs that you should push forward. That if that, if there's conflict, like we've said before, if there's booby traps, the treasure's still there. You know, if there's a paved road and there's people on the side telling you, get, selling you all these different um, ways to make your journey easy, the treasure's gone. And so you really, this, you know, seeing the journey, seeing that like conflict is a good thing. It's a part of the process. That's what the hero's journey did for me because every level, every step of the way, the hero has to overcome a different thing. You know, even with a uh, ordinary world, the hero has to decide, you know, am I going to stay in comfort or am I going to leave it? You know, when the mentor comes, whether they're going to trust this mentor or not, you know, when the tests come, when the allies come, every single part has a different boss to defeat within that level. And so the second thing you got to do is you've got to don't focus on the main boss, the main bad guy of the whole journey, the big thing that you're going to have to overcome. You can't even, you're not even the person that you're going to be when you're facing that boss, right? Don't focus on them. Have an idea of like, that's where we're going. That's what we're trying to achieve. But then limit your focus on the boss within the level that you're out. We're going to talk about three different levels of building this practice, uh, building this audience connection. Actually, these are things that we talk about in my latest class on Skillshare. But there's two things. One, the ideas in that class. Some of the ideas are so fresh that I just cannot not bring them <laughs> so fresh. They're so... I believe in them so much that I can't not share some of them with the podcast listeners, whether you've been able to take the class or not. And, and we dive into a lot of the practical ways of taking these ideas further. There's a lot more pieces to it. So if this is the kind of thing, if this is interesting to you and it's peaking your fancy, go take the class because there's a lot more where this comes from. But I think it's so essential to what I wanted to do on how we're going to uh, build the foundation for the next leg of creative pep talk that I had. I couldn't leave you high and dry, man. So, uh, so we're going to do it. We're going to talk about 
three different stages of building the practice and how to identify where you are so that you can focus your energy on that boss, on that level, rather than getting overwhelmed by doing all things at all different times and ultimately giving up because it just looks like how in the world am I going to fight all three bosses and the end boss? It's just, I'm never going to get there. And actually I was reminded of this when my in-laws are in town and my mother asked me like, did you ever dream that you would be here in your career? And I paused and I thought, yes and no at the same time. You know, I think that there is an internal feeling and self-belief early on that says, I could go create something really fantastic, something worth spending all of this energy on over the long haul. And I had these big dreams, these dreams of publishing kids' books and 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 even more than that and, and doing all this stuff. But I didn't focus on that boss fight, the big, huge bosses from the start. I had that dream, but then I broke it down with the help of the hero journey. I started seeing like, oh, I don't have to get overwhelmed by accomplishing all of this all, all, you know, all at once. I'm just in the belly of the whale. I'm just in the, the refusal of the call. I'm just looking for allies. Like which part of this really helped me to uh, embrace the growth mindset by breaking it down into chunks. And so that's what I'm asking you to do here and now. And actually, I heard Chris Martin from Coldplay say the same thing on Pete Holmes' podcast where he said, Pete was like, did you ever think you were going to be selling out like enormous stadiums? And Chris Martin, you know, kind of embarrassingly said, kind of, like we did hope, we dreamt in high school, him and the co-founder of the band, they thought about like, This is what we want. This is the big, compelling vision that's calling us forward onto this massive, difficult journey. But then they didn't stay in that place very long because it gets too overwhelming. And so they broke it down. It's like, that's it. But we're going to reverse engineer it all the way back to what's the next right step? What level boss am I fighting right now? And that was just selling out the little venue at their high school. And so... What level are you at? Let's go through them. There's three CTAs we're going to talk about. Each level has a different CTA. You might have heard a call to action. We have a few different ones here. The first one, this is where you're at. If you just know not enough people are even aware that you exist as a creator. If that's where you're at and you're like, people, the word just hasn't got out. Really, the thing you need to be thinking about is a call to adventure, not for you, the CTA of the call to adventure, but the call to adventure for your audience. How are you going to get in front of them and give them an offering, give them an invitation to follow you and engage and test out what it looks like to go on a journey with you as their guide, as the creator. You're going to take them to some kind of particular value. You know, you're going to take them, if you're a stand-up comic, you're going to take them and, and lead them all the way to a big laugh. If you're a musician, you might take them on an introspective journey of melancholy and reflection or what, or, you know, who knows, party in the USA. If you're Miley Cyrus, maybe that's the journey to the ultimate party, whatever it is, no judgment, but your job is to guide them to an experience that they don't know that they are looking for. So you got to go out there and call them. What that means practically, if you're in the call to adventure stage, you are in the phase where you need to focus on getting awareness of your brand of creativity. This means what you're focusing on is finding the prime location, 
the prime location to set up shop. And that is dependent on two things. If you're, if you're in a place where you need to get the word out, one thing that needs to be high up on your priority list is finding a place that's not too noisy yet. If you're opening a coffee shop, that means you're not going to open it in the part of the city that's completely developed and all the rent's super expensive and they already have five other great coffee shops. You know, that means if you're a comedian, you're not going to, you know, show up on the front doors of the busiest comedy venue in the country. What you might do is show up on TikTok because TikTok is a space. This is how everything works. It's always been like this in it's like this in apps, but it was like this in cities before and different areas of a development. It's never changed. There's a time where the risk and the reward is on the creator trying to do something new. Places like TikTok right now, you can get a lot of organic reach if you show up and deliver some consistent value that people are looking for and you play your cards right there. In the same way that when a part of town is cheap, there's a lot of risk and but a lot of potential for reward if you will bet on that area. And so within TikTok, a place like that, what happens in those areas and those platforms is the people that own them actually have the incentive to get you to show up there. That's why they can help you get new followers and people who are new, newly aware of you. They can give you a discount on the rent, so to speak. But Places that are extremely established like Instagram, that's why they implement the whole idea of the algorithm is because they don't need you anymore. What they want is how do we keep people on our app for the maximum amount of time? We will show them, uh, we won't take a risk by allowing people to just post whatever. We'll, we'll set up a few rules that we know that not all the time, but as often as we can control that if these things, if, you know, if they get this many likes at the, at the, within the first couple of minutes or these many shares and these, you know, X, Y, and Z, we can guess that our users will like that content and will prioritize it. I'm not defending them. I don't like it either. I, I liked the old Instagram that was chronological. I'm just telling you it's nothing new and there's nothing you can do about it. Because once an area is established and the rent skyrockets, yeah, you can, I mean, you could go political, but this isn't a politics show. What, what you have to do as the owner is decide where you're going to set up shop. And so you're looking for the Venn diagram. I'm calling it low rent, high fit. Okay, low rent means that there's still, it's not super noisy. There's the ability to find new people and get organic growth and room to grow and the competition isn't choking you out, that's low rent. High fit means the type of people that want what you deliver are showing up around there, okay? Because if you are a comedian, TikTok is a phenomenal platform for you. But if you... If you're a completely visual artist, you never want to get in front of the camera. You never want to hear your voice on anything. Like that might be a really difficult place for you to thrive. And so you've got to search a little bit harder. You've got to dig a little bit deeper to find. And, and the way that you do that is you go into the social pipeline. You got to make sure you're connected to other people that do the kind of thing creatively that you do. So that once you're super tapped in, you'll be the first to hear about a hot up and coming place where they got the low rent, high fit type of 
situation. So the first thing, if you just don't have enough people that even know your creativity exists, you have to focus on that first stage call to adventure. You have to figure out how do I show up and just get people aware of what I do by finding a location to invest in in a, in a significant way. All of your energy for this season is going to be focused on establishing yourself in those locations. Okay, so you've got, you've focused on the call to adventure. You Maybe if you're in a place where you have plenty of followers, you have uh, plenty of views, people have seen, had a chance to taste what your creative stuff is all about. If you're in that situation, you need to ask yourself the next question, which is, do I have any fans of what I do? True fans, not just followers. You know, I think that the old model, the old rules of the game were such where you didn't need people to be crazy about what you did. Really, a one-hit wonder would do. It, You'll take it, whatever. Just be on the radio. People like it enough to not change the channel. That's how much you needed them to like it when the record label would get you on the radio, right? But nowadays, it's not enough to get people to just know about you and not reject it. I actually think you need to have more than just followers. You can be the type of person who can be like, I don't care how many followers I got. And look, you know, I do think you should take your follower account with a grain of salt, but we all know that there are benefits to having different levels of followers and what have you. And, and it's a complicated game. We have a complicated mental and emotional relationship with the fact of whether we have the amount of followers we feel like we need or not. Um, you know, all of that kind of stuff aside, the fact of the matter is you don't actually need followers. Like that's not actually the key. There are actually people who I know who have hundreds of thousands of followers and make very little money or connection with those people with their creativity. And then I know people with 5,000 followers that have the most incredible creative practice making meaningful work and, and thriving creatively and financially. And the difference is they don't just have followers, they have true fans. And we've talked about this concept till we're blue in the face on the show. I'm not gonna go deep into it. It's just this idea that you only need 1,000 true fans, 1,000 people that are willing to spend 100 bucks on what you do every year. And that could also be 2,000 people that are willing to spend 50 bucks. I don't know. I'm not going to get into the details there. But what I will say is it doesn't have to be 1,000 true fans or 2,000 true fans. It could be 500 people who will spend $200. It doesn't matter. You don't even have to make $100,000 a year to thrive depending on your life choices and situations and X, Y, Z, all that stuff. The point of the matter is that in order to thrive in the way that the rules are in the game today, it's not enough to get some people that don't hate what you do or even like what you do. The essential key, and I actually think that there's a piece of this that has always been true. You know, if you think about the way that ideas spread, it usually starts with a small group of people that are bonkers for something and won't shut up about it. That means connecting on a deep level. So, If you've done the call to adventure, the next CTA is the call to arms. It means you've got to gather your troops, your your street team, man, the people that are crazy about what you do. 
That means engaging. That means building trust. One of the big pieces of creative pep talk is about not being a one hit wonder, knowing the type of value you want to deliver and knowing how you do it, knowing the mechanics of this is how I show up and make people laugh. This is how I show up and make people cry. This is the, this is how I do what I do to get this particular end result. What is the end result? How do you achieve it? You have to master it, know it, know that kind of value, and then show up on a regular basis with those people that are just checking in, just dipping their toes into your neck of the woods to see if they like the kind of stuff that you have to offer, right? Lot, you know, when you're doing the brand awareness stuff and you're getting views and you're maximizing for that and people are checking out your, your thing, what they're going to instantly do is go watch three other things that you made or, or go look at four other pieces. And if it's a one hit wonder, if you don't have anything else on your uh, portfolio that communicates that you know how to do this thing on purpose, why would they then convert to a follower? And even if they're a follower, if it's super spotty and you're posting a billion different things. And by the way, when you're in the brand awareness phase, the call to adventure phase, I actually think it's great to explore. I think it's great to, you know, throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. Try out a bunch of things. But once you start actually getting some eyeballs on what you're doing, you're probably figured out a few things that are really working. And that means in the second phase, you're doubling down on the things that are really working and you're communicating through consistency that you know how to show up and do this thing. There are so many people, so many artists that I'm like, I like their stuff but I'm going to give you 10 qualifiers about why I'm not a fan. You know, if you talk about this podcast or podcaster, I meant podcast or podcaster. Um, I didn't just say podcaster, podcaster. I don't want you to think I've lost it. Um, but, but, you know, when you suggest a podcast or you suggest a movie or you suggest an, uh, a musician, you know, if you're like, hey, listen to this song. By the way, I don't like half of their albums or I don't like what they're all about as a person. I just particularly like this song. You know, all those qualifiers. I really believe in order to build a thriving practice and reach your creative potential today, you really got to have the kind of connection with a small group of people where they're not going to give any qualifiers when they share it. When they're like, look, I'm down. This person shows up and delivers this kind of thing album to album to album. And it doesn't mean, you know, what you deliver might be a complete reinvention. Like that, that could be your consistency is being completely inconsistent. That is totally fine. And we call that being a radio head versus a beach house. Beach house is like, here's what you've come to expect with just a little extra flavor every single time. That's what I love about Beach House, right? So if you're in a place where people, enough people maybe know it about you at this time, maybe not, you know, what you're, you're not, you haven't reached your end goal of how many people you want to connect with, but you're in a good place there. You feel like you got a good thing going. Next thing you got to do is build the trust that says, I can show up and do this over and over and over. And, and this is what I do, and this is what you can trust, and this is what you can dive deep with. Okay, 
So the third thing, the third CTA is an actual CTA. It's the call to action. You've done the call to adventure. You've got people that know about what you do. You called to arms. You got them gathered, rallied around this thing. We're huge fans of it. The third thing you got to do is you got to call to action. You got to, if you're in a situation where plenty of people know what you do, plenty of people love what you do, but you're not making enough money, your practice isn't working, you're not converting any of those things into a, uh, uh, and you're not making it official, this relationship, the third thing you gotta do is a call to action. You gotta do some kind of launch. The time is to focus all of your energy into not getting those thousand people, but figuring out what is an offering that's worth a hundred bucks a year. What could I launch? It doesn't have to be one product. It could be a few different ways of showing up. You know, if you're a musician, that might mean, you know, listens on Spotify, but it probably means merch and a whole number of other things. But, you know, if you're doing a Kickstarter, it might mean credits on the album. There's a whole bunch of different ways to create that pie. And in the class, the Skillshare class about social media that we have online right now, Skillshare.com slash creative pep, we go a little bit deeper into how to think about building out that offering. And so if you are in a place where plenty of people know about you, plenty of people love you, but you still don't have the practice that you want, focus all of your energy on slaying the dragon of this level and creating a launch, creating, uh, really trying to figure out what is the perfect product that really I can pour the type of value that I have. What's the perfect cup that I can put my coffee in, if you will, that people really want, that people will really respond to? How do people want to own what I do? You know, for me personally, this has looked like I've been exploring the whole idea of tattoo tickets. I don't make tattoos, but I've seen people like Adam JK and uh, Mark Johns were talking to me on Twitter when I was asking about, you know, when people approach you and ask for permission for your illustration to be tattooed, do, what do you say? Do you charge them? Do you have them license it? How do you think about it? And honestly, the way, the reason I asked that question on Twitter was less about like, oh, I need an income stream for this particular type of work, but it was an exploration of a kind of a market example of what I would recommend other artists do. And so for me, I would recommend people, what do people come to you? What are those true fans asking you for? Well, all the time I get asked if people can get a tattoo of an Invisible Things illustration or this or that thing. And, and I had that demand coming to me and I wanted to see, is there any practice of turning this into a type of call to action? And they told me about this idea of tattoo tickets where you set up in your online shop a $100 tattoo ticket for a particular piece of art. And it's just, they're getting your permission and they're supporting you. And so that's a primary example of how you put all of your effort into slaying that dragon. Quit thinking about getting new people for a minute. Quit thinking about the next big creative idea that's going to blow their minds and take them to the next deeper level of fandom for your creativity. Quit thinking about all that for a minute and shift gears and focus all of your energy on the piece of the of the journey that you're in, the phase and stage that you're in right now. You just feel, I can feel as I'm saying that, the anxiety lift of having to do everything all of the time. And so if you're in that space, think about the call to action. Think about the perfect product that can add up to the kind of patronage that you need to, to remain in existence and thrive as a creator.
All right, last bit. Let's talk about the homework. Okay, we can't just think about a bunch of stuff. We gotta put it to action. Really, I'm gonna give you three different assignments and they're particular to the phase and the boss that you're trying to slay right now. Uh, So if you are at the place where not enough people know about you or you're stuck there in your practice, because this is cyclical, it's gonna come back around again and again. You're gonna hit different ceilings with different treadmills, if you know what I mean. If you are stuck in a place where you just need to get more people to know about you, your homework is to scout a location. You need to figure out where's the next place with the low rent, high fit, where I'm going to invest my efforts over, you know, six month period of time of trying to figure out what's going to work on that avenue. You got to try something different to get different results. So scout out a new location. If You're in a place where plenty of people know about you and you need to give them the old call to arms. I want you to name and commit to delivering a particular type of value. That means giving yourself some rules, giving yourself some clear objectives of this is the thing that I'm trying to deliver to my audience. Very particular type of uh, goal. It might not even be like, I want them to laugh when they see this. I think you should really explore more specificity of not just laugh, but this is the kind of laugh that I want. This kind of laugh where they're fight, like, you know, maybe they're like, I shouldn't laugh at this, but I, you know, what kind of laugh are we talking about? Get hyper specific and then commit to, I'm going to make 10 things over the next, you know, six weeks and post them here. Uh, that's, you know, I do that sometimes when I have a challenge for Uh, myself with like episode art. I'll be like, you know, I need to commit for 10 10 weeks to making them within these kind of style constraints where I'm really trying to achieve this particular thing. Or I'm going to do three episodes in a row. All of them are going to be also sticker designs or whatever it might be. Commit, name the value and commit to it for a period of time. If you are in that third bucket where you are in a situation where you, you have the fans, but you need to actually make the sale. Your job is to identify a product that you think, based on the demand and requests of your audience, you think this is a great offering that is a great cup to put the essence of what you do into. And so your homework is to identify what that thing is. All right, I hope you loved the episode. This was a a process that I've just been going in. I'm constantly referring back to um, these different sections and thinking about where do I need my head to be? It always gives me a lot of clarity, relieves some anxiety and helps me know where to take action. So I hope it was really helpful. Um, And I hope it was helpful to have that reminder. One of the things that I want this show to be is just something when you feel yourself out of whack creatively and you're trying to Uh, play by the old rules and and get millions of people to kind of like what you do and you can find yourself just totally out of whack. I'm hoping that this is a resource that you come back to and you listen to every week and you can get back in touch with like, hold on, I don't need to be all things to all people. I don't need to do every single thing at the same time. Um, There are some actions I can take right now that will actually make a difference. Um, and I hope, you know, this acted as fresh stuff and a reminder for you. Massive thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. 
and some other tunes in there. We got some other Y songs in the mix these days. Thanks to Alex Sugg for uh, our soundtrack volume one. Huge thanks to Ryan Appleton and Sophie Miller for content assistance and shout out to my man Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing this show so beautifully. I, I love uh, working with these people and um, I love how the team is growing and we're doing all kinds of stuff and I got a bunch of new stuff planned. But until then, you know what you gotta do? Stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.